0: Welcome to the brownstein hyatt farber Shrek podcast series. With the rise of big tech and social media, privacy advocates have rung the alarm on how these large organizations treat their users' data. Outside of a few lawmakers, this issue never gained traction on Capitol Hill or in the White House until now. The introduction of the bipartisan American Privacy and Data Protection Act, as well as new regulatory interest in privacy policy, signal possible progress. In this podcast, the Brownstein Government Relations Team discusses what these policy moves entail, why it has become an issue now, and possible roadblocks new legislation and regulation faces.
1: This is David Hale. Welcome to the Brownstein High Hyatt, Farber, Shrek podcast series. Today, we'll be talking about the recent uptick in activity on Capitol Hill and in the executive branch around privacy, especially in the digital space. While this issue has been on the radar of activists and industry members for years, this is the first time in a long time we're seeing meaningful progress be made in Congress. That isn't to say that the process has been smooth with dissent on both sides of the aisles. But our conversation will focus on why the legislatures have come to the table uh, on privacy now, what what possible legislation or regulation might entail, what roadblocks remain, and the chances of success in this Congress or the next in the likely scenario that one or both chambers flip. So let me introduce myself first. I'm, I'm David Hale. I'm the former chief privacy officer at TD Ameritrade. I have about 20 years of experience working on solutions to complex privacy issues. And my knowledge really is focused on privacy, cybersecurity, technology, and marketing issues, including both transaction and litigation work. have been a shareholder at, at Brownstein for a couple of years now. Also joining me is Zach Fister. He's uh, served as a senior legislative and regulatory roles for multiple Democratic lawmakers. And he offers policymakers viable solutions to real-world challenges related to financial services fintech, healthcare, veterans affairs, homeland security. Also joining me is Greta Joins. She served as the deputy chief of staff and legislative director for uh, representative John Sminkus, where she advised on the house energy and commerce subcommittee and communications and technology and worked closely with the energy health and environment and economy subcommittees. Uh, she has expertise in industry altering laws and regulations on data privacy, supply chain security, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, energy, infrastructure, and transportation. And finally, Al Motter is influential advocate and fundraiser in democratic politics. Uh, He's a tech and telecom attorney who served in the Senate Commerce Committee, and he engages federal policymakers as they develop legislation and regulations to address emerging technologies, data privacy, big tech, competition law, and infrastructure. So let's dive right in. Privacy has been an issue that's been raised uh, consistently throughout the rise of big technology. Uh, why are both parties engaging on the topic right now? Maybe I'll start with with Al. Um, I know that the last time that a uh, uh, privacy uh, law got out of of committee, uh, you wrote it, and that was uh, maybe two
2: decades ago. Why is this coming back now? Thanks, David. You know I think that people are finally coming to grips with the heightened invasiveness that everyday technology poses to their lives. And while most folks are perfectly comfortable with being solicited for various products based on their prior purchases or searches online, they start to get uncomfortable when they are solicited for products based on Perhaps conversations they had, or perhaps something they did on a different device, which then migrates over to another device like your iPad to your phone or your laptop to your phone. Because not because they are upset about being solicited for products, but because it suggests that a lot of information that they are sharing is being captured either in conversations, searches, and that suggests further to them that perhaps confidential information highly sensitive information, secretive information might be captured, and then raises the question, well, what are those companies doing with that information? We know that they're marketing them. And as I said at the outset, I don't think people care that much about that. Some do, but most don't. But what are they doing with the rest of the information? The second reason is that you have companies coming to the table now because of progress in the EU and in big states like California – And they want business certainty. And when companies want business certainty, they're willing to accept regulation. And so that is what's happening here and why you have, in particular, Republicans being willing to engage, because lots of major companies don't like some of these uh, frameworks that they're being forced to abide by. And they're willing, therefore, to accept a federal framework, which, while being more punitive than in the past, gives them the certainty and uniformity that they crave.
1: Great. Thanks. Um, Greta, do you have any other, any thoughts on that in terms of why we're seeing compromise now and where?
3: Yeah. Al obviously has outlined, I think, a lot of the arguments. I I do think that there is a really interesting moment in particular at the Energy and Commerce Committee. I think that, you know, Kathy Morris-Rogers and Frank Pallone certainly differ in views on a lot of things, but I think they both um, really enjoy the, the difficult uh, process of legislating in a way that I, I think enabled them to tackle this. I, it was a huge moment, you know, to see a bill that, frankly, no one was in love with, uh, but people felt that it was important enough that we needed to get it done. And to see it advance out of committee in what is a very contentious political environment, I, I think signals the level that members feel, you know, where where this lies on. on the level of importance within the conference of both the House Republicans and House Democrats.
4: Hey, David, can I add one point there? This is Zach. Uh, I, I agree with Greta. I, I think that these lawmakers should be applauded for the amount of work and resources that went into uh, compiling this legislation. This has been a, a, a perennial issue that has only grown in intensity over the years. And she's right. Despite the, uh, the, 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 political environment we are operating in, uh, especially given the last several years, uh, for the energy and commerce committee to success have successfully passed a piece of legislation, this comprehensive out of committee by a vote of 53 to 2, I believe uh is is kind of a testament to the work that they've put in. And with each passing year, and I'll kind of touch on this as well, with each passing year, as we enter into a more uh information-driven, uh data-heavy digitalized society, the tenets of any comprehensive data privacy law uh only grow in import. And as our clients experience on a, on a regular basis, this regulatory fragmentation across the states uh, is something that they would like to see remedied. And with each passing uh, legislative cycle at the state level, you're seeing more and more states take this matter into their own hands. And while that is important, uh, states recognize the importance of having strong data privacy laws in terms of the compliance burden that that puts on business sectors. It, it isn't the solutions that industry is hoping for uh, when you have 27, 28 different, but very similar data privacy laws, because from a p- compliance perspective, uh, that simply means that uh, you know more resources are going to have to be put into state-specific laws in order to ensure that uh businesses aren't uh you know missing something in the in the in the fine print. Whereas a comprehensive federal law, as Al mentioned, may be more punitive in the in the long run, uh, but gives a degree of certainty that businesses have been longing for uh you know in this sphere. So we, I mean with that, I mean David, you you have tracked these issues closer than anybody at the firm uh with respect to the the regulatory Patchwork system that we currently have in place. I know more and more states are passing laws on this front. Maybe you could give us some some anecdotes on that front as to some of the more recent data privacy laws at the state level.
1: Um, yeah, sure. I think that's an important question. You know, as I'm working with our, our clients to help them develop, say, for example, privacy disclosures, privacy statements, privacy policies for their website. Um, I'm tasked with trying to figure out how to make their disclosures comply with these uh, various laws all at once, and it, it's complicated. And it's complicated um, by things that are not really helpful to consumers. In, for example, the uh, e- each of these laws, the the law in in California, in Colorado, Virginia, Connecticut, Utah, those are the main. Uh, states that have n- these new generation of, of privacy laws that are, that are more or less similar to the California law, uh, each of them has a definition of sensitive information that requires special handling and special uh, disclosure requirements if you process that type of information, uh, but each of them defines sensitive information slightly differently. One state includes uh, union membership, which is really an echo of of the European standard. Uh, One state requires uh, sensitive information, includes citizenship status, while another specifies immigration status. Well, it's very difficult to come up with a disclosure that really adequately addresses each of those issues in a way that's clear and concise. And clear and concise is, is another one of the elements that each of these laws specifies as a goal of when you do a when you're disclosing your privacy policies and, and, and uh, procedures. So it's a real dilemma for a business to try to, to, to navigate this this question of how do I simultaneously comply with these directives that are all a little bit different um, without uh, shattering my disclosures, right, and having a different disclosure for uh, for each state or for um, maybe a subset of states. If you're if you're a California resident, go here. If you're a, a, a Connecticut resident or a Vermont resident, go here, and etc. That's very confusing to people, and it makes them feel as though you're discriminating against one state versus another. When in reality, you're treating the information the same way, but the specific disclosures are slightly different. And that, that seems like a kind of chaos that businesses are frustrated by um, in that they don't, there's not really a benefit to the, to the consumer. In fact, there's a harm to the consumer in having those multiple disclosures and the, of course the business is running as fast as it can um, simply to keep up with the, the, the different uh, elements. Uh, I think we should actually pause for a second though and, and mention a little bit about the this federal law that's on the table and describe it a little bit. This of course is the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, uh, ADPPA, which doesn't quite roll off the tongue yet, um, that was introduced in, in June and just came out of the House Energy and Commerce uh, Committee. Um, a couple of the main points to, to describe kind of what it does, It creates a a regime very similar to the EU where you have the the ability, a consumer would have the ability to access, um, correct, delete, um, and export their their data that uh, business might have about them. It also imposes restrictions in terms of limiting businesses to being able to collect information that is necessary and proportionate to the services that they're providing or the reasons why they're collecting the information. So you can't just um, under this law, you would not be able to just willy nilly collect random information. It needs to be related to uh, the the, the purposes for which you're collecting information. It creates this idea of sensitive information, uh, much like California and the EU does that's that's that sensitive information is not necessarily the information that's been prioritized in existing data breach laws in the United States, instead, instead it's like the European and California models where it's uh, information about race and gender and uh, uh, religion, et cetera. It also creates a regime where with large entities, there's a, a requirement to account you know, to the government and to file reports regularly about your data security practices and your privacy practices and a certification by the by the CEO um, It's also uh, something of a, of a privacy officer uh, Jobs Assurance Act in that it requires that uh, entities, large entities have both a chief privacy officer uh, and a chief security officer designated no matter what industry they're in, if they're over a certain size in terms of uh, gross revenue and processing of, of information about about U.S. citizens. And that's very similar in, in many ways um, to, again, to the state laws and to the EU laws, although it, it, it's actually much broader than the, than the California requirements um, that have been uh, so touted recently as being the, the, the foremost ones in the in the U.S.
2: I, I'd just like to add, David, this is Al Motter, that I think the, the way to help people understand the, the evolution of privacy in this country, everybody knows – when they go to buy a house, that if they are a minority, there are federal laws that prohibit discrimination against them. What most people don't know is that when you engage in commerce on the internet, algorithms determine your eligibility. And sometimes those algorithms, whether intentionally or unintentionally, are discriminatory. This bill would fix that. It would also give individuals the opportunity to pursue remedies for perceived violations of their rights on an individual basis, so they could seek to sue companies, the FTC and state attorney generals and state privacy agencies would be given some authority to enforce the law. So there's myriad protections for people in this bill that never existed in law before. I think that's one of the reasons why it passed by such a huge bipartisan margin in the House Commerce Committee. I think it was like 50 to 2 or a vote along those lines.
4: And David, I, I would just add to out uh, touch on this a bit, but we use the term evolution here uh, several times in our conversation. This is truly an evolution of, of of on quite a few fronts here. As as late as last year, I guess it was, or over the last several Congresses, there have been competing bills in both the House and Senate. Where, whereas most of the activity has been focused. In the house, in terms of, you know, moving the ball forward, you date back to, I guess it was 2019 when the original bipartisan staff draft, um, kind of the precursor to this bill, uh, was released. And there were droves of, of public solicitations for feedback and, and roundtables and, you know, industry sectors were engaged. But it's also important to remember that there, there were competing bills that were being actively uh, engaged on as well um, that that touched uh, kind of the 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 two ends of the of the spectrum of the privacy debate in terms of um, how how progressive or how aggressive uh, the the given piece of legislation was and some Some legislation took the tact of creating an entirely new federal agency uh, in in some ways similar to what is uh, currently in place in California. A new agency focused squarely on. On, uh, data privacy enforcement. Um, and whereas other pieces of legislation, um, put forward by the, the new Dems, uh, went farther on preemption and on, uh, private right of action in, in the, in the sense that that bill had no private right of action and had full federal preemption. Um, and, and this bill is arguably, you know, in, an, an intake of all of those various Uh, proposals in that it does try to, you know, seek to find that middle ground between, uh, between progressive groups and the business sector as to where they fall down on two of the biggest sticking items that have plagued lawmakers for years. And that is the issue of federal preemption and private right of action. And we know from this bill that even those provisions have gone through Various iterations throughout the regular order process that the bill has uh has taken on thus far, so in the uh, in the version that was marked up in the subcommittee, private right of action had a four year delay in the, the version that was marked up and passed out of the full committee that was revised to uh, reflect a two year delay. The federal preemption piece has uh you know at its core several carve outs that give some latitude to Existing federal statute, uh, which I think was was applauded, but at the same time, some industry sectors argued that um, there were provisions in the uh, in the current bill, I think it was Section four hundred four, uh, with related requirements language that didn't fully exempt that given industry sector from the regulatory statute that they currently uh, operate under and enjoy. I'll use Gramley's Bliley as an example. Um, so this is a work in progress and there's an old saying on Capitol Hill that if you're upsetting both sides of the, of the issue, then you might be doing something right. And I think that, you know, that there is some truth to that, uh, nothing is perfect and no bill will ultimately be perfect, but it, it does say something that these members, uh, these Democrats and Republicans were able to find a starting point from which to work on uh, and one that included the the two most challenging issues for them to bridge the gap on between Democrats and Republicans, and that's preemption and private right of
1: action. Thanks, Zach. Um, Greta, uh, you know, Zach was just talking about this this evolution of bills and and how this has kind of come together into into this particular form right now. Do you have a sense of um, how concrete that is? Is this you know how concrete the current language is? given its current status and the, and the amount of evolution that it's just gone in the last few weeks since it was introduced to a sense of, is there more changes in, in store or are we narrowing in on where it might end up if it's going to be successful?
3: You know, I, I, I think it's, it's hard to know at this point. I, I think in order to get a bill to the president's desk, ultimately you're going to have to conference that both the House and the Senate versions together. Um, Maria Cantwell seems very much opposed to uh, the you know the path that the house has taken in particular so I, I don't think she's particularly I- interested in, in going to conference on that piece of legislation right now obviously things could change but I, I think that one should look at the work that the house has done which is obviously very important and I will be a blueprint for any comprehensive legislation going forward as, as a document that will likely have some changes if we are to see that signed into law. What the extent of those are, it's it's probably too early to say. And I think it's really important to note that, you know, the the way that the markup moved forward, there, there was discussion about additional changes being made to the document during that markup. So I, I would anticipate some where we ultimately end up, I, I think we'll likely find out after the midterms. Something you know, we certainly still need to get a little bit of clarity on, um, at the very least, is where Senator Cruz might be. Should he move into Senator Wicker's spot, who is anticipated to go over to the Senate Armed Services Committee to take over for ranking member Inhofe? Senator Cruz certainly looked at big tech and privacy issues from a uh, very much a, a, judiciary committee type of lens, I would say. And Senator Wicker was obviously in support of the Pallone, McMorris Rogers uh, language and, um, you know, put himself out there and in, in support of that, you know, despite chairwoman Cantwell's objections. So I, there's uh there's a lot of interesting politics happening behind the scenes.
1: That raises an interesting question, uh, Greta. That that uh, you know what happens if if Senator Cruz moves into uh, that leadership position, and that segues right into the question of what happens uh, if this doesn't pass this year. Um, what what's the potential lay of the land for the next legislative session? Maybe we should jump into that now. Um, Greta, maybe we'll stay with you, and then then Al, if you want to um, add in any points as well, that would be helpful. So, Greta, thoughts on on what happens as this this evolves into the next legislative session if if it's not passed now?
3: I wouldn't say that I can predict the future, uh, but I think that it's important to note that both Kathy McMorris Rogers and Frank Pallone are not going anywhere. They will continue to be Republican and and Democratic leads on the committee, regardless of who is in the majority. So I, I think it's safe to say that they have really put themselves out there on this bill. They will remain committed to this bill going forward. The, the Senate is, is another animal, and I think there are a lot of members um, who will both be in cycle uh, next Congress or, or next election after this one in November. And I also anticipate privacy, big tech, some of these broader issues really becoming a kiss during the presidential election. And I, I think, particularly in a Republican presidential primary, there will be a lot of extensive discussion around this. I, I, I would say that potentially that moves the needle and in, into getting something done, but you know, there there are a lot of variables and and certainly Chair Cantwell um has a very different view about where the focus needs to be. And and she's really committed to finding something just on kids' privacy. And CMR and excuse me, Kathy McMorris Rogers, also known as CMR, and Chair Pallone are very much committed to looking at a broader privacy bill, which is obviously more difficult to get done. But they are very committed to moving something forward that is not piecemeal uh they they want they want a big bill and they and they think that they can get the votes to do so
2: so I would just add a couple things. I think that um Greta has implicitly outlined a fallback compromise, which is if the senators can't come to agreement on the House bill or make fixes to it that they find comforting enough to support that the Congress could at least pass legislation in the more heightened, sensitive area of children's privacy. But as Greta says, the House leaders don't want to settle for that, and I don't blame them for that. I think if the House passes a bill with a, with a strong bipartisan vote, it'll be difficult for Senator Cantwell alone, which is essentially where she'll be, uh, to stand against that with the prospect of... Next year, having a Republican House and potentially a Republican Senate and a Chairman Cruz. Ted Cruz is a very conservative member who, uh, while he does not like big tech, is less likely perhaps to work as well with Maria Cantwell as Roger Wicker does. Senator Wicker is the ranking member currently. And while he currently is not in full agreement with Cantwell on all aspects of a broad privacy bill, I would hasten to say that it's conceivable they could get to that agreement. And again, if the House passes a bill out with a big vote, um, it's going to be tough for her to continue to stand by her more um, progressive uh, posture uh, in the face of that, in my opinion. Uh,
1: so related? So last week, or the very end of, of July, the uh, CPPA, the California Privacy Protection Agency, uh, which is the agency that's uh, that's responsible for enforcing privacy in California, uh, came out with a, uh, had a hearing, it came out with a unanimous condemnation of the federal privacy bill and in particular the preemption aspect of it using um, very forceful language. Uh, given the, the state level opposition that California has, at least um, the other states have been, um, somewhat quieter on this, uh, and Nancy Pelosi, being from California and and being sensitive to her home state's um, views on this, does this bill make it to the floor at at this point? You know, is it is there going to be a vote before the end of the the current legislative session? This is Zach. I, I would just say that as long as
4: uh, we've been focusing on these most recent proposals iterations since the passage and enactment of, of the CCPA, you know, California has always loomed large and it, there's no, uh, there's no disputing the fact that uh, you know, a quarter or a third of the democratic caucus hails from the state of California and they want to ensure that uh that the the work that went in at the state level there is not um is not usurped uh, in, in their opinion and in some of their opinions uh but I do think that the, the the leaders up here whether it's house democratic leadership or uh or these the the sponsors of the bipartisan bill ha- have been taking that into account all along the way and the Revisions uh, to the bill along the way, uh, even between what passed in the subcommittee to what passed in the full committee, are attempting to take that into account and uh, adjust accordingly. Now, uh, it, it's hard to say. You know, it'd be it'd be pure speculation as to where those politics and and policy disputes uh, play into a floor vote. Uh, but I would note that the the calendar for the fall is going to be uh one that is a mix between limited floor time and several pieces of of must-pass legislation, whether it's the NDAA or a CR or an omnibus. And it will be determined by a combination of political will and appetite, uh timing, and I think most importantly, some Degree of improvement or compromise with Senate leadership and these, the the Senate Commerce Committee as to where their efforts are on this front. And as long as, and Greta raised this too, as long as there is, uh, you know, disagreement on the confines of the bill more, more writ large, the, the California dynamic, I think, is an issue, but not the only issue, uh, that, that Democrats and Republicans will have to rectify or find resolution on before, um, before a floor vote. David, maybe, uh, and, and I know we're running up on time, but maybe, maybe we should close with, uh, just a quick synopsis of executive branch activity.
1: Sure. I think, you know, in addition to this legislative activity, the, the executive branch, um, since the, the Biden administration has taken over has, has not been waiting around for, uh, for, for the legislature to, to, for Congress to, to take action here. So there's been several, uh, agencies that have taken one or another, uh, privacy action. The FTC, uh, in particular has been very vocal about the idea that, uh, its jurisdiction under the FTC Act is actually uh, broader than the FTC has taken advantage of in the in the past 20 years, um, and has indicated that they are looking to uh, revise their regulations such that uh, they're finding more things will be uh, either deceptive or unfair trade practices. Um, that under under various uh, potential privacy violations, the FCC, the 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 Federal Communications Commission, has uh, jumped into the fray within the past couple of weeks, uh, sending a a, a a letter to uh, to TikTok, uh, requesting that they um, explain how they're processing data. Um, there's some question whether they. What, what the uh, regulatory basis for that is. But uh, nonetheless, we, you know, we're we seeing that activity. Um, the CFPB is uh, taking a, 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 a more aggressive approach to uh, enforcement as well in the financial services world. And finally, the, the Securities and Exchange Commission has introduced uh, draft rules. They just recently closed out the, the comment period on that that would uh, provide for additional disclosures in the cybersecurity side uh, and data processing side uh, in the event of, of a breach by uh, companies that are, are subject to regulation as, as uh, publicly traded companies. Um, in addition, would require some disclosures, not just in the event of a breach, but more generally um, regarding uh, procedures and policies for uh, for keeping information secure, protecting information for the qualifications. Um, of their directors. Before we close out, I want to, want to throw open, uh, any, any, uh, if the, anyone has any final thoughts, um, on the, um, the new privacy legislation in, in, in Congress and, or the, uh, uh, the actions that are happening by the, uh, the, the federal executive agencies. Any, any final thoughts, Zach?
4: You know, all, all I'll say is I haven't been working on this issue as as long as Al, um, but uh, I I have been working on this issue for uh, well over a decade in, in various roles. And it, I I go back to what I said earlier. It says something that they've gotten this far. Um, it, there have been previous Congresses where uh, there was a lot of flurry at the onset and uh, and the effort tended to fizzle. I I remain impressed that, uh, in, in this year of all years with midterm elections looming, with crisis after crisis unfolding, uh, you know, through a pandemic and, and, and wars and, and a lot of other uncertainty that an issue that has been, you know, a longstanding one of concern, uh, for lawmakers and industry and, uh, outside groups has, has seemingly found more traction uh, now, uh, than, than previous attempts. And it will be interesting to see if, if they can thread the needle on this, uh, in a very tight window, um, in the fall. Um, but uh, again, it, it says something about the importance of this issue that, uh, you, you see this compromise and coming together of both Democrats and Republicans, uh, and outside groups, uh, who have provided extensive, uh, public comment on, on trying to find a solution here. Moving forward,
1: Greta. Any any final thoughts?
3: I guess my final thought would be very similar, you know, to what Zach said. I, I there was a lot of people in Washington who really did not think the committee would be able to produce a product, and, and certainly not along, you know, an overwhelming majority vote that we saw come out of the committee. I think that the fact that there are so many members who are committed to working through the process on a bill is says to me that that's unlikely to change. I I can't imagine that they would abandon the effort now, but I, I do think that we are a long way from seeing final passage and in the interim, you know, I think we're all wondering what will a Biden FTC do here um, over the next couple of years and i it, it certainly seems that that they're going to make some aggressive actions and or at least take a really hard look at how these companies operate in addition to the biden doj but i, I think that the the ultimate problem of you know having a, a patchwork of straight laws that that is certainly going to continue to exist regardless of what happens Happens within the administration. I think the appetite is there, and I think it's ultimately up to Congress to, you know, do the hard work and um, produce a legislation and uh, get it to the president's desk.
2: I would just close, David. This is Al with this. I think that there have been a lot of pieces of legislation that have passed in the last eighteen months. Many of them, if not most were at various points in time considered dead. Some of them were very bipartisan pieces of legislation, most notably the massive infrastructure bill, which touches on this issue because it funds broadband to the tune of tens of billions of dollars in terms of build-out. And more recently, the uh, CHIPS legislation, which gives American competitiveness a huge boost in terms of direct investment in our economy to help us compete with China and others in that space. And this feels like the same thing to me. A lot of people say it isn't gonna happen, wasn't gonna happen, but I think at the end of the day, if they can get their bill through the House, which I've no reason to doubt, then the pressure will be on for a compromise. And one of the things that has been heartening about this Congress and this administration is there's been willingness to compromise on select matters that are really important to the American people and Republicans and Democrats have come together and been willing to do that. And this I think will be the third example of that. And it may not happen until after the election, perhaps in a lame duck session, but I think it will happen before the end of the year.
1: Thank you, Zach, Greta, Al, for, for joining me, David, on the, uh, the Brownstein uh, podcast series. Uh, and thank you, uh, everyone who's who's listened uh, for joining us as well. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.